Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and megatrends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. How to investigate employee complaints. Hi, I'm Mike Vinoy with Assure. And my guest today to unpack this topic is Brian Schenker. If you're a regular attendee of the show, you know Brian. Brian is a New York-based attorney with Jackson Lewis. His practice focuses on representing employers on a wide range of workplace matters, as well as preventative advice and counseling. Brian has extensive experience defending class and collective action lawsuits under federal and state wage and hour laws. He has successfully defended wage and hour audits conducted by the U.S. and New York states, state departments of labor. Brian regularly handles cases before courts and administrative agencies involving claims of discrimination, sexual harassment, and retaliation. Brian, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here, Mike. Okay, so pretty straightforward topic, but I think maybe a really important one because, dare I say, um, it's if you haven't had to do this yet as an employer, it's not a matter of if, but probably when. Maybe not in all cases, but for most businesses, there's going to be a day when an employee comes to you with a complaint. It doesn't necessarily have to be some really hardcore criminal action that happened where, of course, you would investigate and, of course, you would call the police and, and act uh, uh, proportionately. I think what the message we want to get across here today is how, do, how should employers be thinking about what may feel like edge cases, right? It's like, oh, do I have a, an employee who's just kind of a complainer? And, oh, that's nothing. I don't have to do anything with that. Or, oh, you know what? I know what the other person meant. I, they were legitimately offended or bothered by this, but I know the other person too. And they've been here a long time. They're a good human being. They didn't mean anything by it. I think these are the areas that employers really get themselves in trouble when it comes to handling complaints. Anything you'd want to say kind of at the top here before we jump in? Yeah, and I think, you know, investigations into employee complaints are so important, Mike. Um, I think that, you know, I, I guess the, the best way I, I could I, I could phrase it is that, you know, poorly in, uh, poor, poorly conducted investigations will absolutely impact a company's potential liability and exposure. Uh, not only that, not only the legal uh, and litigation issues, but, you know, companies that fail to investigate, uh, you know, employee complaints, it leads to, you know, morale problems, yeah. uh, you know, chilling effect on employees going to management. And so it's really important that companies investigate uh, these complaints. It leads to informed decisions. Uh, it encourages an open workplace where employees are, uh, you know, encouraged and, you know, feel comfortable bringing up their uh, their issues to management. And it deters improper uh, behavior, right? And we're always discussing that, you know, as many issues as an employer can resolve in-house, you know, internally, rather than externally, the better. So here, right, what better way to 
deal with an issue up front, right? Investigate it rather than have the employee go to an outside, you know, attorney or agency and right. file a claim, right? Uh, right. So I, I think just as a starter, right, that, that's the importance of what we're talking about today. You know, how a company can avoid exposure, set the right culture, uh, and, and really, you know, this is a, a real way to limit potential liability for all size companies. So Brian, what kind of cases do you think an employer should be investigating? So do you have some ground rules or some rails that we can put around this thing for when we should, when we shouldn't uh, perform, dare I call it a formal investigation? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before I, I, maybe it was a misnomer, I'm calling these, you know, employee complaints. Uh, But the complaint doesn't always have to come from an employee. Uh, It could come from a third party. It could come from a supervisor who overhears two employees, you know, talking about an issue. Uh, You know, it can come from uh, another employee who complains on behalf of a, a different employee. Uh, So there are all sorts of triggering events for investigations. And what a company should keep in mind is that there are no magic words, right? You know, we all think of, you know, discrimination, harassment, retaliation, you know, hostile work environment. You know, of course, right, if someone comes with those types of uh, complaints and uses those words, it's easily recognizable as a complaint that should be investigated. Uh, But there are much more you know, vaguer, uh, ambiguous types of, uh, you know, communications that, you know, are more often the case uh, than a clear complaint. So, you know, things, you know, when an employee says they were uncomfortable or, you know, something was creepy or weird or it felt off or it didn't seem right, um, you know, those are things that should certainly uh, prompt an investigation. Um, And, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, really, whenever a violation of company policy is in play, there should be consideration for an investigation. I mean, like you said, Mike, there might be very small issues that certainly, uh, you know, in the employer's discretion, don't rise to the level of something uh, we're going to investigate. Uh, but, you know, that, that should be considered, you know. So, uh, you know, there's also issues of, you know, off the, uh, off the record complaints. Um, right. You know, and is, is there such a thing, Brian, as off the record? No, you know, I should have used uh, quotation marks for that. Yeah, right. Uh, off because, the right, Mike, absolutely a great point, right? There's no such thing as an off right. the record uh, complaint. And, uh, and, and for, anybody, for anybody watching, just think about it. Your One of your employees comes to you. They want to have an off the record conversation. You get it. And that might mean you honor the request to be off the record that you're not going to tell the other employees so you don't have some tattletale. And you may be wise and judicious not to do that. But just picture yourself in a deposition and not being not, not perjuring yourself and risking, risking going to jail yourself because when the judge asks or the opposing counsel asks, there's no such thing as off the record. Exactly. So if the company knows of the com- the complaint, it knows of it. It cannot pretend to uh, to have not heard a complaint. So, right. You know, uh, an employee who wants to come and complain about something, you should not promise, you know, confidentiality or that nothing will be done. 
because again, that's very much could go against the company's you know legal obligations to investigate. Right. Uh, I think the the main thought here, you know, company, you know, employers should think discretion, not confidentiality, right? Someone right. comes to look, well said. We'll keep this on a need to know basis, you know, but I cannot promise you it'll be kept confidential, right? That's not a promise that uh, you know we can necessarily make in this. Brian, in your practice, what are the what are some of the use cases that you see folks get in trouble here? Because because again, I I I, I always on the show I try to put myself in the shoes of the employer. I don't think employers are out there trying to, trying to, you know, squeeze the little man and they don't care about their employees. For the most part, all employees, they genuinely care about their employees. They want to create a great uh, work environment, great culture. They probably even genuinely like them, even when they're not satisfied with their performance. But sometimes an employee is going to complain. And sometimes you as the business owner or a manager, you might think, oh, this is actually a real deal. I got to do something about this. Sometimes, not sometimes, it happens all the time that employees will come to you with things that in your viewpoint, they're frivolous and maybe they need to toughen up and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But where do you see folks get in trouble here? Right. I think the idea is that, you know, as the employer, you're, you shouldn't prejudge the complaint, right? And part of it, you know, part of this whole issue isn't necessarily getting it right. I mean, that is what we hope for in an investigation, that we get it right. Uh, but that's not, not necessarily the, the end game here, right? Part of it is going through the process to show that your company takes these things seriously. So, yes. you know, even if you think it's frivolous, having the investigation proceed and then having the documentation to show, hey, we looked into it, there is no corroboration, nothing to do. All right, that's better than just saying, hey, we're not investigating it because, you know, we think it's, you know, um, right. you know just, uh, you know, it, not credible at all, right? We want to do that investigation to show it was taken seriously. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Okay, so so let's just maybe talk about some of the laws that are involved. So, and I know the, the, the business owners here listening, they're, they're not going to be able to memorize all these. But there's, boy, there's there's quite a framework of laws that all kind of stack on top of each other here that your ears should be perking up when you hear certain things, certain types of complaints, right? Because this isn't, hey, so-and-so is rude. They don't share in the, in the food, the break room. There's not a, there's not a law in the books that, to force that. That might just be good or bad manners. But there are laws on the books that you should be really attuned to some some of these cases. Can, can you kind of rattle off some that we should be thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, you know, from my own experience, I can tell you, you know, the various areas that I, you know, most often see employee complaints leading to investigations. Obviously, you know, hostile work environment, discrimination, right, on, that could come up under Title Seven, you know the ADA, ADEA, um, you know, and those ones, right? We're we're looking at how someone you know could have been treated differently in the workplace than others. And real quick, uh, ADEA for folks, right? So we've got the uh, age, uh, yeah. age and uh, discrimination, employment, and then ADA is uh, disability. Um, so we're covering you know various protected categories. Under the federal law, of course, you know, your states may have, you know, additional protected categories. 
but yeah, a lot of the complaints an employer will see that need to get invest- investigated come under these uh, civil rights laws, right? Where yeah. uh, someone is complaining that you know they're in a protected category and they're being treated you know inappropriately by someone else, right? That's, so that's ADEA, Age Discrimination in Employment Act. What what might a complaint look like there? And probably there's two ends of a spectrum when it comes to age, probably, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, perhaps you have uh, an older, you know, individual uh, performing a job. They've been at the company for years, and you know, their manager starts, uh, you know, you know, getting on them for you know maybe you know not not being so technologically savvy, and you know, making various comments that you know kind of seem uh, age related, maybe telling you know, when is it time to retire, things like that. And yeah. look, the, that individual might then, you know, go to HR and complain that, you know, these things were said, I feel like I'm being forced out. Yeah. And right, look, there's an opportunity to investigate the issue. And right, if it doesn't get investigated, you know, who knows what happens? Maybe that individual uh, quits, claims he was constructively discharged and files a you know, hostile work environment discrimination claim. You know that could have otherwise. I know been. of I know of an employer who had that exact scenario. Uh, it was a long term sales rep, been with the organization for many, 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 many years, and they kept asking this guy, "So when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? When are you going to retire?" It was clear that they wanted him out, and uh, it, short short story is it cost this company a lot of money to settle this guy because uh, he had a couple decades worth of service here. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think that companies should also be aware that, you know, and I think these discrimination type complaints are what what we typically think of when we think of, you know, employee complaints and investigations, but it can run the gamut, right? There could be, you know, we could be at a restaurant and uh, you have an employee, uh, this recent happened, an employee complaining about, you know, the tip pool and the distribution of tips. And, you know, they make a complaint. They want to, you know, see the records. They think they've been, you know, gypped out of some tips. Uh, yeah, that's something that potentially gets investigated, right? If there is a issue with the you know, employee's tips, right, You're, you want to look into that. That's got, you know, company policy and, you know, uh, legal, uh, you know, implications. Um, you know, and so, you know, again, it doesn't even need to be discrimination, right? It could just be a complaint by you know an employee about how they're being treated, right? Doesn't bring up any protected categories, but again, you know, under the company's policies, right? And we'll get into that, right? A company should have uh, updated policies. Yeah. Uh, is that against company policy, right? To uh, you know, perhaps this individual, you know, yelling at others, you know, bullying other employees, right? Not illegal under, not unlawful under Title Seven. But it's probably violative of the company's, uh, you know, workplace, you know, policy and you know, professionalism. And so, right, even if it doesn't necessarily implicate a law, there are things that should be investigated, right? Because, um, you know, I think one of the first things a company should do at the outset, you know, of an investigation before it's done anything, right? You've You've identified that there's a complaint, right? However, that came about by, you know, an employee in writing or verbally, however it came in. But, you know, one of the first things the the company should do is look at, all right, what policies, what company policies does this implicate, right? So 
obviously we're starting, you know, at there are company policies, right? And, you know, that's really a reminder for companies that, again, you know, you should have a handbook, you should have written policies governing here, right? EEO matters, uh, wage and hour matters, but a whole host of things. If you yeah. don't have those policies, then you're behind the eight ball to start out, right? Because yeah, and I'm, I'm, now- I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cite. So a lot of people know that uh, we conducted a survey over 2,000 small businesses, asked all kinds of HR best practice questions, and correlated that to whether those companies were growing or shrinking last year. Eighty percent of fast-growing companies have an employee handbook that was updated in the last 12 months, compared to only 40 percent, half, 40 percent of companies that didn't grow last year. Uh, either don't have an employee handbook or it wasn't updated within the last 12 months. So it's just simply having this, this isn't just a, a finger wag you're getting from us today, probably around uh, how to handle complaints and get, get policies written down. The companies who, who know better, there's a direct correlation to actual revenue growth here. Right. Yeah. And look, those are staggering statistics you provided. And I think, right, that, that probably tells us, you know, those faster growing companies are, you know, looking at HR and those ones that aren't growing are just relying on what they've already done. But that means, you know, you're not updating your policies. Maybe they're not tailored to what you're doing now. And that can be problematic because when your company receives a complaint, right, you're not looking at the complaint in a vacuum. You're looking on how it applies to your company, right? Your company, right, it probably implicates, you know, anti-retaliation policies, you know, maybe confidentiality policies uh, for union companies, a collective bargaining agreement, uh, you know, for some employees, you know, companies have employment agreements. So again, at the outset, we're looking at all those things, seeing what this implicates, because all of that is going to you know, end up, you know, having a place in the investigation. Uh, right. And so, so, so let's let's get get into it. Yep. I think we I think we beat the drum hard. Take complaints serious. We've kind of talked about some of the laws that your ears should perk up around different different things like uh, age, obviously safety, anything safety related, uh, uh, disability, anything Title Seven, and if folks don't know what that is, that's uh, the Civil Rights Act. So discrimination based on, you know, age, race, religion, gender, et cetera. Um, uh, so investigate. Now something happened, a, a, a complaint or an employee comes to us, and hey, I feel uncomfortable with the situation. I think we've established you got to have an employee handbook. You have to, not by law, but you're crazy if you don't. This is, this is the place you document your policies and procedures what do you do now? Right. So, right. So the, you know, first things first, right. You have that triggering event. Now you need to determine, right. The scope of, you know, the, uh, the investigation and that really very, pretty simple, right. You're looking at what the complaint is and you're thinking about, okay, you know, who are, you know, who's going to be part of this investigation, who might be involved, you know, when, where, and you know what evidence, right? So you you start thinking about these things before you, you investigate, right? Because you know a wage an hour, you know, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, a tip pool complaint, right? That that's a completely different scope than a systemic discrimination complaint. So we look at the complaint, we see you know what the scope is going to be. 
Um, then I think is something that company, you know, companies should really look into is identifying and containing any interim risks. So what does this mean, right? Um, in the instance of a harasser, right, an alleged harasser, uh, this means, you know, maybe we need to separate them, put them on different shifts, uh, you know, get the accused away from the accuser. Uh, so that should be considered. Uh, oftentimes, right, we want to move the accused and not the accuser so it doesn't appear retaliatory. Um, you know, in the, you know, sometimes an attorney demand letter might start an investigation, right? So we need to look at that, right? That might require litigation holds to be put in place, right? So we preserve evidence. Um, <clears throat> the, the next step is really then determining who's going to investigate. Uh, generally, you know, this can be done by, you know, an objective HR individual, right? That's often someone who knows the company's policies already, so they have familiarity, which is helpful. Um, Brian, give, give an example of a smaller firm. If, I, if I'm a, I own a construction company, a landscaping firm, a small architectural firm, I've got 15 employees, I've got an office manager in, uh, there is there is no HR department. Who, who, who does the investigation there? Yeah. Then the question is for smaller companies, whether there's someone internally in the company who can be objective and, you know, investigate. Uh, which sometimes can't happen, right? In a small company, the one or two or three individuals at the top who you know might be qualified to investigate, right? They might be the subject of the complaint or close enough to the complaint that they shouldn't. So in those cases where there simply is not a non-conflicted person at the company uh, to do the investigation, a company should really consider going outside to an external source, right? Having uh, you know, an HR consultant like, you know, a Shore Software's uh, consultant, you know, do, do an investigation right. or, you know, have an attorney, you know, but uh, certainly, yeah, there, there can be considerations for that when, you know, it's going to be um, someone outside the company. And look, even for companies that have HR, there are sometimes reasons to have uh, someone outside, right? You know, I've had numerous uh, matters where, you know, look, once an employee, you know, puts out complaints, they might, you know, those complaints kind of snowball, right? And now they're, you know, their original complaint was against their manager, but somewhere in there, they're saying, you know, HR is, you know, not competent. And so, you know, so now, you know, can we really have someone from HR conduct a, you know, uh, right. you know, a non-conflicted investigation, right? That, that could be difficult. So, uh, I, I love the idea of third parties doing the investigation, and this isn't always realistic, right? I mean, the minor infractions, yes, you should investigate, you should document, you should do all the best practices we're going to con continue to, to talk about here. But if it's a serious allegation, you, you, hiring someone from the outside does two really important things. Number one, you're telling that employee and all other employees how serious you take this, that you're willing to spend a little bit of money to get an unbiased opinion because you're signaling, hey, I, I think I'm too close to this. I, I'll, I'll interject my own biases and I want somebody, an outsider's viewpoint. That sends it a, a really good signal to all of your employees that you're gonna take things serious and that you're gonna be fair-minded about it, right? <clears throat> and then number two, if it's a big deal, uh, I don't know what the legal term, but uh, self-serving testimony from the owner trying to cover their own, you know what, 
isn't nearly as strong as if it's uh, some somebody who's a SHRM certified professional or an attorney or just a respected person in the community who came in as an independent third party to do the investigation, right? Right. And no, that, and you're right. Whatever few few hundred dollars you might spend, maybe more than that, but it doesn't have to be. That that could pay for itself a hundredfold. Absolutely. You know, in those cases of you know very serious allegations, you know that might just be the, the company's decision. Let's go with someone external. You know, let's see what a third party, you know, who has no skin in the game, says about this. We right. want to you know get this right. right, and we don't want any you know, allegations of bias. Right. 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 Okay, so so you so you decide so you're going to take action. Um, so you got your policies in place. You're taking action. You decide who it's going to be. Somebody internal, somebody external. Kind of depends on the severity in in nature of the claim, right? If you're if the you have a senior person and they're they're the subject of the complaint, you obviously don't want to, that, that person. So you you make the appropriate decision. What comes next? Right. So. You know, the next step, and I think this is a real important part, and it's something that I do when I'm conducting investigations, is making an investigation plan, right? You know, the best thing you can do for yourself is, you know, and look, even myself, who, you know, I've I've done many investigations, I still like to do this every time so that I have it, you know, thought out and I know what I'm going to be doing. So, you know, my investigation plan, you know, includes a number of things, right? what what are the relevant documents to review right you know so i need to get a hold of all those relevant documents right obviously if there's a written complaint you want that the the policies handbook procedures we discussed before right you want to have those uh but then right what else is there you know oftentimes in uh, workplace investigations there are emails or text messages uh you know maybe audio recordings or photos um, you know, personnel files of the employees is important to have. Uh, so, right, you want to gather the world of, you know, documents and identify what those are. Uh, you'll want to think about who the, who the witnesses are. Um, obviously, you're, in, in, you know, you're, invest, you're, you're interviewing the complainant and the accused, but there are other witnesses. Um, so, you know, are there managers and supervisors? Uh, is there someone with some special expertise in some field that you know might be helpful to interview? You know, related to the complaint. Brian, if I'm a, a business owner listening to this, I could th- I could see how this could feel a little cringy. So if it's a if I have an employee who is accusing someone else of sending sexually explicit material in email, seems pretty black and white. You need to fork over the emails, right? That's part of the investigation. That does that doesn't seem uh, uh, that seems quite clear. But if an employee is saying, "Hey, every time this person looks at me, they look at their computer, they start to snicker. I think that they're emailing each other about me." I mean, and I don't know if that's a good use case or not. But I'm sure there are some cases where an owner might be thinking, "Okay." If, Am I going to, how far do I dare go with this in my investigation here before now I'm infringing on rights of other people and destroying trust and culture? Uh, I mean, I I could see where people would feel uncomfortable how far to go really quickly in some of these investigations. What would be your guidance there? Yeah, I I mean, look, those can be tough calls. I think that, 
Look, you know, and when we'll get to it, you know, certainly witness interviews can be, you know, awkward at times or uncomfortable. And look, I think as part of any investigation, there can be, you know, uncomfortable aspects, you know, for an employer, right? You know, you just, you want everyone to get along and work and now you have an issue and you need to look into it and, right, there are going to be some hard questions asked. Um, you know, com- you know, cooperation sometimes becomes an issue, right? If you were asking people for, you know, their emails, you know, they could voluntarily provide them, right? Or the company can say, hey, I'm going to go to IT and just have them pull your, pull your company emails, right? We're not talking about going into any personal, you know, yeah. information, but... Right. Anything that's done on, you know, the company's network systems, right, that's likely something they can pull up and, you know, use as, you know, part of an investigation. Right. So if you have an employee who, who isn't giving you, you know, some email right in your situation, right, we believe there should their emails around that time or messages and they're saying no, none or, you know, we're not we're not showing you. Right. IT can assist you with that. Um, so, right, you don't need to just rely on the, you know, good faith of, you know, the witnesses to give you the documents. You can utilize, uh, you know, your other your other sources in, you know, obtaining and reviewing that, you know, those data or documents. All right. So I've got my policies. I've decided to take action. I've decided who's going to do the investigation, come up with an investigation plan. I love that. Now we start gathering evidence. Yay. You've accumulated enough. You've hit some tipping point where you call it, okay, I, I think I've got this as much as I'm going to get uh, for, for material information, I guess. What, what comes next? Is it, uh, is it judge and jury time? Is it uh, formal report time? What, how, how, do you, how do you communicate and, and bring this thing to a close? Yeah, now it's, now it's the fun part. Now we're going to interview the witnesses. Um, that is, you know, look, other than, you know, pulling the documents and all that, you know, this is where a lot of the facts and information will come from. Uh, so, you know, this is another, you know, really important component of the investigation. Um, and, and again, something where a little bit of preparation can go a long way. Um, so again, you know, when I'm, before I'm conducting witness interviews, and again, this is something I do for myself and suggest that, you know, employers do it as well. Draft outlines for the witness interviews, right? You don't want to be in there winging it and leaving it to chance that you cover what you intend to cover. Uh, you know, identify the documents you want to show each witness, right? It's This is almost like a, a deposition, right? Where you're going to ask some questions, you can present them with, you know, evidence, and you know you're going to then you know ask them follow-up questions about those documents. Um, you know another uh, you know now since you know the the pandemic right another question is is you know where's the interview location? Is this going to be in person? Is it going to be on the phone or is it going to be you know virtual? You know, right. via, you know video call. Um, you know I, I'm still a very big proponent of conducting investigation interviews in person. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, in addition to conveying the formality of the situation, there are lots of, you know, bi- you know, cues we can, you know, pick up on from a witness that can go towards, you know, credibility determinations. So yeah. I-, I think, you know, per- in-person would be preferred, virtual might be a second best, and I- I'm really not a fan of uh, telephone because I think a lot is lost in not being able to see the witness. Right. Um, 
So, right, once you've identified who you're going to interview, right, now now the question is in what order? Um, there, there's no magic formula. There's no necessarily right or wrong way. I do think that interviewing the complainant first so that your initial interview, you know, if you were, you, you've established the scope of the investigation, if there is anything else, you know, that might not have been included in the original complaint, now you've gotten that, right? Uh, typically, you know, I go then to the other witnesses, coworkers, supervisors, etc., And then last, I go to the accused, right? Uh, because you want to have all the information, you want to be able to present everything to them so you can get you know, the responses from the accused as to the allegations. Um, so, you know, now you've, now you've set the order. Um, now you've decided whether you're doing it in person or not. And then, all right, who's going to be at the interview? Um, if you're a union shop, obviously there are some additional right. considerations here. I'm going to presume have their own not, rules. They're right, going to have their right, own rules so. and policy to handle it, yeah. Exactly. And there could be a union rep needed, but, you know, I'm presuming we're in, you know, we're, we're dealing with a non-union shop. So who do we want present? Typically that it's fine that it can just be the inner, you know, the investigator and the witness. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you may want to have, you know, a note taker there, you know, not not necessarily to corroborate anything just because, you know, in, you know, interviewing someone, it can be difficult to yeah. proceed with the interview effectively while also taking detailed yeah. notes. So, you know, if you feel that's necessary, then have someone come in and, and take notes. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, highly, highly, highly recommend not recording any witness interviews, um, you know, handwritten or typed out notes will, will be just fine. Okay. Um, and then, you know, look, I, 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 that, Brian? I, I could see somebody thinking it'd be the opposite. So, if, I, I mean, look, if, I think if you that, ever watched an episode of Suits, you know, that lawyers, <laughs> you guys record all these things. Why, why don't you want to record right. this? So I, I think number one, look, depending on various you know, state laws, like you could be in a two party consent state where you need to obtain the consent of uh, this individual, of the witness. They, they might withhold that consent. That could be one issue. Okay. Um, but I think also, look, once we start recording, um, I think, it, you know, also in terms of getting, you know, the best, we'll call it testimony uh, from each of these witnesses, I think that often, you know, recording it can kind of uh, have the opposite intended effect, right? It can be chilling, right? right. You know, because the way that I'd like to set up interviews, I, I kind of split it, you know, I, I imagine it in three phases, right? And that first phase is the most important one, I think, where we're engaging in small talk and questions that don't necessarily even relate uh, to the allegations, but just things to make the witness comfortable, like, you know, create some uh, connection between us so they feel comfortable being truthful to me and that I feel that I can, you know, then ask them, you know, some important and potentially sensitive questions, you know, without having them, you know, react badly. So I think that first stage, you want to build a rapport. And so also, you know, if you're recording everything, I think it's tough to build that rapport. They, they That's good advice. Them. I agree with all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what, so. What comes next? So, right. So the, now, now we're, you know, commencing the interview, right? So what, you know, one of the things that we start, you know, with almost you know, the complainant, witnesses, anyone is that, no retaliation, right? You know, we, we cannot 
uh, mention, you know, the company's non-retaliation policy enough times. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, look, I, I even go so far sometimes as to have a statement of non-retaliation that you, I have each witness sign that, you know, they've acknowledged that they've been, you know, provided the company's policy. They understand, you know, there will be no retaliation and they're instructed yeah. to report anything immediately. So I, I think that also goes hand in hand with developing that rapport with a witness, letting them understand that what they are doing is something you know, the company really wants from them. We want to get this information. We appreciate you uh, discussing with us. And, you know, again, you know, you know, there will not be retaliation for, you know, being part of this investigation. Um, then, you know, going from there, uh, you know, look, we want to get facts. That is the goal from any interview, uh, right? We don't want rumor. We don't want opinion. We don't want, you know, guesswork. We want to limit this. We want to get facts. So, you know, again, who, what, when, where, right? And, you know, if there's, you know, who are other witnesses that, you know, another W, right? Other witnesses. Um, but, you know, certainly there's some things that the company should be limiting, right? From, you know, the investigators should be limiting themselves, right? So the the investigator shouldn't be disclosing information it's uh it's obtained from other witnesses right you know you start out the interview by you know giving enough information to identify you know what's being investigated but right then i don't sit with an interviewee right i'm not going to sit with a witness and say I, I just interviewed jane and you know she told me that uh you know no, you know, we can ask those questions in a different way so as not to disclose what someone else has told us. Right. Um, you know, I think that's, that's very important. Um, Brian, help me out here because I'm going to come back at the end uh, a little bit. A small, a small company. You might, you might not say it was John who told you this information about Jane, but everybody in the building knows the only way you found that out is from John telling you. I mean, how do you, how do you guide a, a business owner, a small business environment where you, you, you're not going to keep this stuff secret because everybody kind of just knows. In fact, you're probably the last person to know all this stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that just goes to the point we made earlier that you cannot promise confidentiality, yeah. right? That, you know, you might think, oh, this is not I, I can promise it in this circumstance, but you don't know where the investigation's going. And right, like just like that, right? You might not even disclose who said something, but by process of elimination at a small company, you know, employees can figure it out. Uh, but look, that's also the importance of notifying everyone of non-retaliation policy and enforcing that and having you know, management follow up and ensure that throughout and even after the investigation uh, yeah. that there's no retaliation because, right, you know, even, you know, the best intended investigation could leak information, you know, unfortunately, and let others know uh, what other people said. I mean, look, minimally, the accused will know who the accuser is and we want to make sure there's no retaliation there. But, right. you know, this can come up with other witnesses as well. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's, um, yeah, very important. And I, a couple other things, you know, I, I think some of the things of what not to do, 
kind of, you know, are more helpful than, you know, explaining what to do. Uh, so as I said, you know, we're not sharing what other witnesses have said. Um, you know, the, the investigator, right? It, sometimes in trying to make it more conversational, an investigator might start providing their opinion or conclusion on, you know, with witnesses and such, right? Like, yeah. you know, oh, you know, this investigation I think is going here, but I just need you to give me your statement, right? No, we don't do that. We don't discuss our own uh, opinions, uh, you know, uh, with any witnesses. Yeah. Um, also, I, I might not have mentioned this, but, you know, witnesses should be interviewed individually, not in groups. Um, and again, right, you, you cannot tell and, you know, an, an employee to necessarily keep the everything confidential um, about the interview. Uh, but you can certainly, you know, recommend, uh, you know, encourage them, you know, not to, you know, discuss it with others. Um, but, you know, you can't necessarily mandate confidentiality. Uh, Ryan, what, what do you do if the employee just doesn't want to talk? I mean, this is not a legal proceeding. You're not a judge. You're not an attorney. So they, they can't say I plead the fifth because that, that doesn't apply here. But what if they just don't want to talk? Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, a situation I've also run into many times. Um, and yeah, so I think first, like, again, that's we can go back to try to establish a rapport, right? You know, to the best you can. That's why you do some small talk at the beginning. Get them, you know, comfortable, right? If that doesn't, you know, uh, get get it going, look, then you communicate that, right, there should be a company policy on this, that it's the company's policy uh, that the employee is required to participate in internal investigations. Um, if they still fail, you know, don't cooperate and won't answer questions, uh, then you can document that, right? In your notes, you're going to document, you know, this is, you know, what was said, this is what they've said. And then, look, at that point, if you have a witness who fully, you know, is not uh, cooperating, the investigator should then, you know, elevate this. And, you know, it should probably go up to, you know, if there's HR involved, HR. If not, we're going to the top of the company, potentially, potentially, you know, reaching out to an HR consultant outside the company. Yeah. Uh, but the question then is going to be, what do we do with this employee, right? Because your policy probably says you can discipline an individual for failing to cooperate in an investigation. That said, it might not be uh, what the company wants to do. So, you know, you really should consider whether, you know, you want to discipline this employee or simply go on with the investigation without the benefit of that, uh, um, that person's testimony. Um, you know, look, if it is the accused who's refusing to cooperate, then the additional thing you're going to explain to them is that, look, if you don't answer our questions, all our information is going to come from the complainant and any other witnesses. So, you know, all we can go by is what we receive. And if we receive nothing from you, you know, your your side won't necessarily be told. And that can impact, you know, the result yeah. of the investigation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've found that it's typically not the accused who's refusing to cooperate. Normally, they're the ones, you know, ready to get in there and deny the allegations. Uh, mm -hmm. But that it's potentially, you know, I, I've seen it come up a number of times with, wit, you know, witnesses who are friends with the accused, right? right? They want to be loyal to the accused. That's often where I've had the situations where they're refusing to be interviewed or, you know, answer many questions.
All right, so Brian, we, we've gathered the evidence, we've done the interviews, uh, we understand the best practices, the do's, the don'ts, and, and I think maybe now we're at decision time, right? So um, uh, how do we communicate this? Do, is this is this verbal? Uh, if it's not a big deal, do we verbally communicate? Do we communicate to all parties, including witnesses? Uh, is this a formal written thing that has to happen? What, what's your guidance on sharing results, documenting all this? Yeah, great question. And I think th there's a lot to unpack there because uh, typically the default is that we're thinking there's going to be a written report. Uh, there might be occasions when it's just going to be a verbal report, but typically, right, we want to have something in writing. Uh, so again, a couple tips for that before we go into those other other issues you uh, identified, Mike. Yeah. Stick with the facts in this written report, right? Don't draw legal conclusions. Right. I often see companies writing things like, you know, the manager created a hostile work environment or the employee, you know, harassed, uh, was harassed by the customer. All right. Those are conclusory. Right. Instead right. of saying the manager created a hostile environment. Well, what actually did the manager do? Right. Yeah. So on such and such that. date, the manager sent an email that said X, Y, Z, and that made the employee feel feel harassed on such and such date. This happened. Just state the facts. Right. Right, exactly. And and stick with the facts, right? It, like another, right, you could say, you know, Tanya denied sending, you know, inappropriate emails. You know, you could say that or you could say, you know, Tanya said she never sent the inappropriate email. Okay, we're back. Uh, first time ever on the show, Brian, you may have heard the, the fire alarm going off in the background. He tried to fight through it, but uh, he was being directed that uh, he had to leave. I think it's just an alarm. So we, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty confident Brian is, is safe and sound. Uh, and we were nearing the end of our conversation. Let me just kind of try to wrap this up. Um, uh, so Brian's guidance is that if you have any complaint and, and, and again, this isn't about, hey, I don't like so-and-so, so-and-so has bad manners. This is anything that, that, that potentially violates any law around discrimination. It could be age, could be gender, could be religion, could be anything, uh, uh, disabilities, anything that could be a violation of any HR law, you simply have to take it serious. Uh, and there's no such thing as an off-the-record conversation. Uh, you might honor that in your interpersonal relationship. But when it comes time to actually investigate, you have to investigate. And when you do that, you're signaling to your employees how serious you take the work environment and the culture uh, uh, of, of your company and how serious you take their word. If they come to you with a serious complaint, you might think that they're wrong. You might think that they're just being overly sensitive. If you blow it off, you don't take it serious, you're, take, you're sending a very different signal to them. And if they're grieved, there's a good chance they're going to go seek outside counsel. They're going to, and it could seriously happen as casual as uh, a month or three months later, they're at a party and they're talking to someone who's an attorney and they explain that. And everybody in the conversation is like, well, they couldn't have done that. That's illegal. And all of a sudden somebody picks up the case at no charge and you find yourself uh, uh, an attorney in the uh, EEOC knocking on your door uh, and they're going to do the investigation, not you. And you sure wish you would have done it yourself in the first place. Some headlines here that we were going to talk about. Uh, I won't unpack them. You can hop on to suresoftware.com, uh, go to our resources section. Uh, 
uh, and we talk about this in detail, but three cases where the business owners didn't do what they needed to do for investigations. One was a tech business. They now owe $120,000 to settle an EEOC sex discrimination case because they didn't do what they needed to in the investigation. Number two, $350,000 in back wages and damages for a supermarket's FLSA violations. Uh, and EEOC sues business for subjecting mechanics to verbal abuse. These are all instances where the employer, I, I'll say it, maybe just didn't take the take the claim serious enough. And when you take it serious, you send a signal to your employees. In worst case scenario, you're, you're simply protecting yourselves. Uh, $120,000 fine, a $350,000 fine. Uh, I mean, to most small businesses, these are existential threats. Like a lot of people aren't going to come back from, from that kind of a hit. So take them serious. Follow the best practices that Brian laid out in... I suspect one of the things I wanted to ask, Brian, this might seem appropriate when you have the employee come to you and, hey, uh, somebody put their hands on me and uh, or something happened that is so clearly black and white. Yes, this is wrong. We need to do an actual investigation, possibly even bring in outsiders from the organization. I think everybody probably gets that stuff. And Brian's best practices were great. My guidance for small business owners is where we get in trouble is the things that we don't think are maybe all that big a deal, but, but our gut tells us, okay, something's wrong here. You can't blow those things off. You can't sweep them under the rug. The very worst thing you do is you investigate and you decide and you write down and communicate to the accuser and the accused that, hey, this is what everybody told me and therefore I'm not going to do anything but you've signaled to the accuser that you take them serious, that you cared enough to investigate, and you've sent a pretty clear signal to the accused. Maybe they did do what they were accused of and, and they got away with it, but you're also telling them that you're gonna take this kind of stuff serious. So uh, we'll welcome back uh, Brian on another show, another week, uh, and uh, trust that he is well, uh, as we trust that you're well, and we will see you next week, thanks. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth, not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws. Visit AssureSoftware.com.